Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Well, we are in the book of 1 Samuel. We're doing a series on 1 and 2 Samuel. We're in chapter 17. We'll pick up there. Turn in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, uh, pick up the Bible, that black Bible in front of you. Turn to page 282, 1 Samuel 17. I'll try to keep you awake this morning. For those of you that are um, a little jet-lagged. 1 Samuel 17. This is a, I wanted to read the whole story. I know there's a lot of Bible reading. I appreciate Morgan and Jake. Y'all did a fabulous job reading that text for us, but that's a, a great story. And when I say story, I don't mean story, made-up story. That's a true story. It happened just as the author penned it. These words are inspired by God, but it is a story, and it's an incredible story, and it's a wonderful story. It's often misunderstood. It's known by so many people. As a matter of fact, it's so well-known that I think some people, they miss the point of this story. David and Goliath, you'll hear sportscasters um, mention this when you have a, a team that's very dominant playing a team uh, that they are supposed to beat handedly, um, a David and Goliath story. But I think they oftentimes we get this wrong. But anyway, let's jump right in. David, who's a shepherd boy, I want to kind of set the context for you. If you're visiting with us, kind of catch up where we are. David, who's a shepherd boy, who needs to care for his father's sheep, was anointed king by Samuel. Do you remember that? Samuel the prophet anointed David king. But the, the, the problem is that, that, is that there's another king on the throne, Saul, right? But he's been rejected by God. He's rejected by God. He's rejected by the prophet Samuel. So the question is, how does David get from the pasture to the throne? Well, we saw last week, chapter 16, we see the providence of God as Saul, who's tormented by a harmful spirit from the Lord, is told to have a, a musician come. During his miserable spells that he's having, his servants say, we well, ought to bring in a musician to play the lyre. He says, well, do you know anybody? And one of the, one of the servants says, well, well I, I happen to, to know someone. There's a little boy named David. He's a shepherd, and he has musical ability. And he suggested that David come and play, and Saul agrees. And so David, at this time, this point in time, Morgan, he's spending half his time in the fields taking care of his father's sheep and half the time with Saul, playing for him and, and comforting him as the, the, the harmful spirit torments uh, Saul. David is anointed king, but he's not anointed king because of his ability to lead. He's not anointed king because he looks like a king, but he's anointed king because of his heart. I want you to hold your place there. Let's turn back to chapter 13, verse 14, real quickly. Come on, people. Get with it. Chapter 13, verse 14, page 278. And this is Samuel speaking to Saul after Saul had disobeyed the Lord several times. Samuel says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Okay, so David is chosen to be king, Chris, because he's a man after God's own heart. 
Flip back over to chapter 16, verse 7. Samuel is going to, he goes to Jesse's house and he's going to anoint one of his sons king. And notice what he says. The Lord says to Samuel in verse 7, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So David is anointed king over Israel, not because of his stature, not because of his ability, but because of his heart. He's a man after God's own heart. So chapter 17, where we are today, is going to show us what a man after God's own heart looks like. Okay, so we read the story. I'm just going to set it up for us and talk through this text. The Philistines are on one hill, and they're ready for battle. And, and on the other hill facing them are the Israelites, and they're ready for battle. And there's a valley in between, and that's where the battle is going to take place. Now, there's a, a, a champion of the Philistines named Goliath, and he comes out for 40 straight days, and he taunts the Israelites, and he makes fun of them, and he taunts them, and he taunts their God. He suggests a winner-take-all battle. He says, I'm going to represent the Philistines, and you send out a man that represents you Israelites, and we're going to fight it out, and it's a winner-take-all. Whoever wins, the, others, the other nation becomes their servant. And so the Philistine comes out day after day, time and time again, to taunt the Israelites. And as, the un, as this story unfolds, we see that there's... The, contrast continues between Saul and David. And we, we said the book of 1 Samuel is a book of contrast. We've seen it, right? We've seen it time and time again. And here we see it again with Saul and David. And, and I'm, what I'm going to do is just walk through and, and point out some differences in Saul and David as we talk through this story. The first thing is that Saul walked by sight, but David by faith. Now, what was, what was Saul's reaction to the Philistine giant as he comes out and, and taunts the Israelites. Well, he is fearful. Do you remember that the spirit of the Lord had been removed from Saul's life? And so it's as if God wasn't on his side. And he's fearful. And, and if God's not on his side, he should be because Goliath is invincible. I mean, he is nine feet, nine inches tall. And his armor is such that it weighs about 125 pounds. His armor weighs more than David probably did at the time. And he's covered head to toe in armor. And he's nine foot, nine inches tall. He's invincible. He represents invincibility. He is a, uh, a mammoth of a man. He's mean and he's strong and he wants to fight. And Saul is quaking in fear. In fact, the, the head of his spear is about 15 pounds. You know, the part that's going to impale the enemy, that's going to enter a person's body, that's 15 pounds. That's as heavy as the largest bowling ball. Pretty invincible. Saul is so afraid, he dares um, not go and fight as the Philistine mocks the Israelites. But Saul, he's head and shoulders above all the other Israelites, right? And what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to defend his people. In fact, that's why, that's why the Israelites chose a man like Saul, right? They wanted, to be, they wanted a king like the other nations that could lead them in battle and fight the battles and win the victory for them. But here Saul is, he's afraid. 
reminds me of the Israelites. Um, do you remember the Israelites as they approached the promised land? Moses took a, a spy, a person from each tribe, and there's 12, and they sent them in the promised land. You know, they were there 40 days, and they came back, and they gave a good report. Incredible place, incredible land. Oh, I, I, I would love to live there. They said, but the people are really, the people we're going to have to kill, the, the, the people we're going to take this land from, they're, they're pretty massive people. They're giants. And in fact, the cities that we're going to have to take, the walls are fortified and they're tall and they're thick, and there's just no way we can do it. Ten of them said that. There were two, Joshua and Caleb said, no, God has promised that he's going to give us this land. We can take it. Saul reminds me of, of those Israelites, of those ten spies. He doesn't trust the Lord. Those ten spies, even though God said, I'm going to give you this land, all you have to do is obey me, they didn't trust the Lord. And Saul, he didn't trust the Lord either. He walked by sight, but David by faith. Now David was split in time between shepherding the sheep, right, and playing the lyre for miserable King Saul. And Jesse, he sent David to... See his brothers. His three oldest brothers are there in the battle, and he wants to see how they're doing. He said, I want you to go and check on them, take some presents, take some to their commanders, take them some food, and bring me back word. I want to know how they're doing. So he, David arrived on the scene, and Goliath is taunting the Israelites. And notice in the Scripture, he calls him, and uh, David calls Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine. And he, he recognized and he pointed out that he's not only defying Israel, but he's defying God. David is appalled that this heathen, uncircumcised Philistine was defying the Lord. Look at verse 24 of chapter 17. When all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills the man with great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the approach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy who? The armies of the living God. And the people answered him the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. He calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. He recognized, he had spiritual eyes, right? He saw things rightly. He says, this guy is not a part of the covenant people of God. His brothers, verse 24, I mean 28 through 30, they gave him a hard time, didn't they? He says, you're just trying to stir up trouble for us, little brother. And you can understand why they're jealous, right? I mean, they all had been passed over by their baby brother, right? Their baby brother was anointed king over them. It's interesting, David's in good company, isn't he? You think about Joseph and Moses and Jesus, they were all objected by their family members too. But David is brought before Saul, and David told him that he would fight for him. And Saul, what does Saul try to do? He tries to talk some sense into him. Look, you don't understand the seriousness of the situation. This man has been fighting longer than you've been alive. He'll eat you for lunch. You're just a boy. And then David gave him examples of how God had delivered him as he watched his father's sheep. Look at verse 37. Chapter 17. 
David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear would deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And he tells a story before that, hey, when, when there's a lion and it comes and it grabs one of my sheep. And David tells Saul, what I did was I took the sheep out of the lion's mouth and I killed the lion. And he says, I did the same thing with the bear. I took it from the bear's mouth, I rescued the sheep, and I killed the bear. I killed a lion, and I killed the bear. That's what the Lord's done for me. So all of a sudden, Saul says, well, maybe, maybe, maybe this thing will work, right? And so what does Saul do? He puts the armor on David, and he sends them out. But as he's talking about this story, these experiences he's had in the pasture with the lion and the bear, who did that for David? He says, the Lord. See, David walks by faith, trusting in the Lord. Who did this for me? How was I able to do that? The Lord. The Lord was on my side. Saul walks by sight, David by faith. Saul had a passion for his own glory, but David had a passion for God's glory. If you remember the preceding chapters, Saul, he wanted to be blessed by God, right? But We see David wanting to bless God. We've seen in chapter 13, Saul, he disobeyed the Lord. Remember, um, Samuel was, was going to make a sacrifice, and, and Saul's waiting and waiting and waiting, and the Philistines are getting ready for battle, and his, his soldiers are all going AWOL. What did, what did, uh, what did Saul do? He, he made a sacrifice so his soldiers would stay put. And not only that, but when they went to fight the Amalekites, God said to, to wipe them all out. Well, he spares Agag the king and all the, the, the finest animals, right? And it's interesting when Samuel says, you disobey the Lord after those two incidences. You've rejected the Lord. God's rejected you, and I do too. I'm not going with you anymore. And he goes to leave. And what does Saul do? You remember, he grabs his robe and he won't let him go. And as Samuel pulls away, it tears his robe. And he says, just as that robe is torn, God has torn the kingdom from you. And it's really interesting what Samuel said after that incident. He, he just told, Samuel just told Saul, the kingdom's going to be taking, taken from you. Chapter 15, verse 30, it says, He says, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me. So the kingdom's going to be taken from them. He just was told that. And so what is he worried about? He's worried about his own glory. Look, if you leave and you don't go out with me, it's going to look bad in front of all the people. So please go out with me this, this last time. And so Samuel goes out with them. But Saul is so consumed with his own glory. But David, what did David? David desired to make much of God. I mean, Goliath had defied the armies of God day in and day out for 40 days. And when David hears this, he's angered. And as he approaches Goliath, the giant berates him, right? As David only has a staff, a sling, and five stones. Look at verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, 
ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Notice what David said to the Philistine. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the host, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. I mean, David is moved, passionately moved. He has this righteous anger because the Lord is being insulted. He's so upset he's willing to fight this nine-foot-nine giant. So a question for us today. Do we get upset when we see the Lord blaspheme? Does it bother us when we see the, the name of the Lord or hear the name of the Lord being blasphemed? Another contrast. Saul has been abandoned by God. David had help from God. Chapter 16. Verse 14 says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. God had abandoned him. And I was thinking through this, they're living under the old covenant. But I thought about, Chris, I thought about Saul not having the Spirit of God with him. God is not with him. I liken that to a, some, under the new covenant, living after the, the time of Christ, and, and a person not knowing the Lord. There's a person they've yet to repent, They've yet to turn from their sin. They've yet to trust Christ's work on the cross as their own. They've yet to trust in the resurrection of Jesus for their justification. And they don't have God. And that's everybody, right? Everybody's in that same situation. They're sinners separated from the Lord, and they don't have God. And when, when lost people, people that don't know the Lord, when they, they communicate, we try to communicate with God, God doesn't hear. Yeah, you, you can't know God, you can't communicate with God because you're separated from him. And that's why I think about Saul. He's in that situation, isn't he? The Lord had abandoned him. He's on his own. But what about David? God was with David. Look at chapter 16, verse 18. When Saul's servants, when they're thinking about somebody that could come and play music to soothe them, Look what they say about David. One of the young men, he says, I know a man, right? I know a boy. Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is what? The Lord is what? With him. Yeah. All of you didn't go to Idaho. I mean, there's only nine people in Idaho. The rest of you wake up, right? <laughs> yeah, he said, the Lord is with them. So Saul, God had abandoned, but, but David, the Lord's with him. Think about when you, when you have trouble. I don't know about you. When my wife and I, our family, we lived overseas. When, when bad things happened, when we needed help from the Lord, we would send out prayer letters, right? We'd send out a, an email, and it would go to a person who would get that email, and then here in the States would send out that email to a bunch of different people. A lot of you got those things. But there was several people that we would contact directly. Sometimes we would call, sometimes we would, would email. But we would direct, directly contact certain people because we were in trouble. We needed God's help. And the, the, think about the type of people that I would contact. What were they like? You tell me. Yeah. They were people 
who knew the Lord and we knew the Lord was with them. Because that's the kind of people I want praying for me when I'm in trouble and I need the Lord's help. You do the same, right? Yeah, certain people in our church. You send them texts, you call them because you, you know they walk with God. God is with them. That's the kind of people you call. That's the kind of person David was. He was, he loved the Lord, passionate about his glory, and God was with him. Contrast, Saul and David. See the contrast there? Think about David in the pasture. He had this personal experience, right? He's out there, he's with the sheep, and you think about all these psalms that come out of those moments with the Lord, and God's with him. He has this personal experience with the lion and with the bear. And his, his faith is rooted in those personal encounters with God. As the Lord delivers him from the, from the lion and the bear, that's a personal experience. God was with David. These experiences increased David's faith so he could trust the Lord when he faces somebody like Goliath, right? Yeah, and when he goes, he says the battle, he didn't say the battle's mine. He says the battle is whose? The Lord's, yeah. Yeah, the Lord was with David. Continuing on. Saul, it seemed like he wanted to be the hero, but David, he didn't want to be the hero. He wanted God to be the hero. David took a stone out of his pouch and he slung it at the giant, right? Now, this was not like this crude weapon, right? Like my, my neighbor, Mr. Noel, I love him, man. He's awesome. He's from the Philippines and he gave my son, he made him a, a slingshot. And it's like the slingshot, better than the ones Jason we used to make when we were younger, but it was this slingshot had like this electrical tape around the, and held the, the rubber bands on there. You know, he's shooting and it's kind of crude. I don't think this is really, the slingshot he had was kind of, I don't think it was that crude of a weapon. In fact, in Judges chapter 20, we're told about the Benjamites and there were 700 left-handed Benjamites who were, who could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. So I think it's pretty more advanced than we think. But the stone that, that, that he chose, there were five, and sometimes we think about rocks that we used to shoot, but they're like big as tennis balls, commentators say. Pretty big stone, right? He's welding that thing. So I think he's probably pretty good with that, but he, he takes that sling and he, he slings that rock, that stone, at the giant, it sinks into his forehead, right? And he collapses. And then what does David do? But he goes and he takes the sword, the giant, the nine foot nine giant who just got clocked in the head and knocked out. And he may have been killed right then, but he's at least knocked out. He's laying there. Well, David takes this giant, he even takes his own sword from him. And he, if he's not dead already, he kills him with his own sword. Yeah. Um, yeah, what does he say about, notice what he says about that. He says in verse 46, he says, 
I'm going to kill you so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Why is David doing this? He's doing it for the, for the, for the Lord, right? He's doing it because this giants defied God, and he wants God's name to be known. But contrast that with Saul, and after this event, do you know what happened after this event? We'll talk about it next week, but I'm kind of give you a preview, if you will. Chapter 18, verse 7, as the people are singing, hearing about this victory, because the giant fell, and what the giant said, winner take all, the rest of the Philistines weren't in on that deal. Because when the giant fell, they didn't like surrender and say, oh, we're your servants. What'd they do? They took tail and run, and so the Israelites run after them, but they routed them, great victory. But the people started singing a song. In chapter 18, verse 7, it says, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Yeah, Saul, I mean, David just led your nation. You were afraid, shaken in your boots. You would not fight the Philistine, but this young boy did led your nation to victory, but yet what, do you, what happens? What's Saul's response to that song? He want, he's, he's jealous and he's upset. Why? He wants to be the hero. David wants God to be the hero. Last comparison. Saul, the man a head and shoulders above the rest, failed Israel. But David led them to victory. Saul shaking in his boots when he should have been fighting. I mean, he's the one that's head and shoulders above everybody. So if we're going to have to have somebody represent us and lead us to victory, it needs to be Saul. I mean, this is exactly the kind of man the nation of Israel wanted. We want somebody that's going to lead us to victory, fight our battles. Yet, the shepherd boy, David, leads the nation to victory over their arch rival, the Philistines. So as this story unfolds, we see this contrast between Saul and David. I think that's very important. That's what God wants us to see. We also see that this story is not about David as much as it is about God and what God can do. The battle wasn't David's. The battle is the Lord's. David didn't win the victory because he's good with a slingshot. No, David won the victory because God was on his side. I mean, we miss the point, I think, of the story a lot of times. We think about the underdog. My son, Seth, he'll always ask me. We, we watch old ball games on YouTube. And he says, Dad, who are you pulling for? And I'll say time and time again, well, son, nobody pulls for Goliath. I wish Daniel Kellum was here. Nobody pulls for the Patriots. God wouldn't do that. Or the Yankees. 
or I wish Mr. Clyde was here, or the Red Sox, right? Their payroll is just too high. Who pulls for the Red Sox? They're supposed to win. No, you don't pull for those guys. You pull for the underdog. And by and large, that's who I pull for. I pull for the underdog. Why? That's who God pulls for, <laughs> right? But we, we hear that, but that's not, the, that's not the main point of the story. It's not the main point of the story. Sometimes we try to put ourselves in, into David's shoes. Well, you know, you can, if you, you know, you can, you, you're the underdog, but you know, you can overcome. Well, that's not, no, you overcome because God is on your side, right? That's the main point. The main point is God is, when God is on your side, he's able to give you victory. He's able to uphold his honor. He's able to come to our aid. But the story, it's not so much about David, it is about God. So how do we apply this, this text this morning? I think firstly, I think we think about ordinary people. How many of you are extraordinary? I know a lot of you think your children are extraordinary. Right? You think, no, they have extraordinary uh, athletic ability. They're, they're highly intelligent. But, I mean, not to hurt your feelings, but by and large, m- most of us here, are, we're just ordinary people. I mean, there might, there's a few exceptions, right? But by and large, we're just ordinary folks, you know? I'm just an ordinary preacher. We want to be something other than that, but we're, we're, by and large, we're just ordinary folks. But God uses ordinary people. And what happens when God uses ordinary people? He gets the glory. And it, isn't, that, isn't that the point? I mean, isn't that the point? So I think, first of all, remember, God uses ordinary people. Because when God uses ordinary people, God gets the glory. David said, I'm going to beat you, this little you know, young boy, this giant. I'm going to beat you so that everybody knows there's a God in Israel. You know who gets the glory? God, he, he uses us. Aren't you glad? Miss Patsy, I'm just glad God used ordinary folks. That he can be glorified through simple people like me and like you. It's interesting. Psalm 144, verses 1 and 2. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge who subsides people under me. But the first verse says, Blessed be the the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. David wrote that. God used David, the ordinary shepherd boy, to bring down the Philistine army. So remember that. We're ordinary people and God uses. Hunter, God uses people like myself, like you, for his glory. Secondly, I think we, we need to remember that God, he humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. God exalts the God-serving and rejects the self-serving. 
I mean, David defeated Goliath and took Goliath's own sword and killed him with it. So my question for you maybe is, have you humbled yourself before the Lord? I mean, there's a, one of the Beatitudes. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's that mean to be poor in spirit? Blessed are the, those who realize they're spiritual, spiritually bankrupt. That's the person who comes before the Lord and says, Lord, I have nothing to offer you. If you don't help me, I have, I have no hope. I, I shared this story all the time. I was in Israel and I saw, I read this text and I went out on the street to do our tour and I saw a woman and she's sitting on the, the, the sidewalk and she doesn't have any legs. So she's sitting there. But what was really unusual is she didn't have any arms either. And I'm meditating on this scripture, trying to figure out what's it mean to be poor in spirit. And all of a sudden, I think, I think the Lord's just trying to clear this up for me. And I, I think this woman is poor. Not because she didn't have any money in her pocket. There was somebody had set a, a can in front of her. But this woman, Brady, was poor because this woman couldn't help herself. I mean, she, she couldn't eat or scratch her nose or wipe herself. She was totally dependent on somebody. She was poor because she had no ability. But spiritually, we're all in the same situation. We can't help ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't do anything. God's got to help us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Have you humbled yourself before the Lord and said, Lord, I'm, I'm destitute. I don't have any hope. I'm sinful, I've rebelled against you, and, and I need you. Have you done that? Because when you do that, when you humble yourself for the Lord, what does he do? He, yeah, he, he draws us near and he lifts us up, right? Godly sorrow, right? when you realize I've sinned against the Lord, Lord, against you have I sinned, godly sorrow leads to repentance that leads, right? Repentance and faith. So I want to encourage you, if you've never yielded to the Lord, humbled yourself for the Lord, I want to encourage you, repent. Submit to the Lord, repent, turn from your sin, and, and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. Trust his resurrection. And be saved. He, he humbles the, the arrogant and the proud, right? And he... Lifts up the humble. And if you have a question about that, I'm not sure if I've repented or not. I'm not sure if I've ever been poor in spirit. I'd love to talk to you about that. My number's in the worship guide. I'm, I'm here all the time. Call. I'll come see you. You can meet me here. I'd love to talk to you about it. And lastly, by way of application, David, he had these, these private experiences with God in, in the pasture, right? Taking care of the sheep. That, those, those experiences he had with the Lord, drawn near the Lord and pastor, those increased his faith. So when the, this big battle, public battle came, came upon him, this opportunity arose, he was able to trust the Lord. 
I mean, God prepared him for this, this epic showdown with the giant, right? Yeah. God providentially allowed him to have these experiences for this event because this is a big event. This is a really big event because this is going to help. Because we've been talking about how's he going to get from the pasture to the throne. Well, this is part of the process. This is a pretty big deal. From this point on, everybody knows who David is, right? His popularity is, is, is going to go through the roof. But, but he talks about the bear and the lion incident. This, the Lord did that for me. And he says, you know what? Because the Lord did that for me, the Lord I know is going to do this for me too. So by way of application, my question is, those private times with the Lord, those personal experiences with the Lord, daily drawing near to the Lord in prayer and studying the scriptures and listening, right, and fasting and praying, those experiences prepare us for these public things going on, these, maybe these bigger opportunities, right? So my question is, are you having those private times with the Lord? Just drawing near the Lord daily in prayer and reading the scriptures and sitting before the Lord. Because those, that's how our faith increases, right? So when we, when we have trials, when we have difficulties, we can obey the Lord, we can trust Him and give Him glory. So church, I'll leave you with, with that. Let's spend time with the Lord today. It's a day of rest. It's Sunday. You need to rest. You need to take a nap. Great day to read the Bible. Great day to draw near to the Lord. We talk about Sunday morning. Sunday morning is the most important day for you to read your, get up, read your Bible, get on your face for the Lord, get in your closet, whatever it is. Me, it's a dark room. You, it's a, a kitchen table. Lawanda, what is it for you? Yeah. Sitting on the porch, sitting in the sunroom, whatever. You've got the place. But Sunday morning is real important for that because you're coming to do ministry, right? So you need to get your mind right and your heart right so you can come do ministry. But it's Sunday, man. I'm going to hear preaching. And you know, Shane, that joke going to preach long enough. Last me a couple days, right? <laughs> no. Let's draw near the Lord, church. Let's draw near the Lord. I'm excited about this book. I'm really I'm, I'm enjoying it. We're going to continue in chapter 18 next week. Grace to you today. Get you some rest. Um, spend time with your family. Draw near the Lord. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.